Hello, this is Intersection. In a new report on the University of Missouri's campus climate, the American Association of Universities says about a quarter of undergraduate women who responded to the survey have experienced sexual assault or harassment on campus. For trans, genderqueer, and non-binary students, that rate is more than 50%. The report also says more students know about on-campus resources for sexual assault and harassment, but that doesn't necessarily stop sexual assault from happening. The fact is, this is a really hard thing to talk about, especially for assault survivors. But advocates say one of the most important things you can do for a survivor is to talk about it with them. So we're going to talk about it today on Intersection. KBIA producer Cassidy Arena wanted to talk about the survivors of those assaults and how most media gets it wrong. Here's Cassidy. I spoke with sexual assault survivors Casey Smith and Kelly Slatter, as well as Matthew Huffman, the Public Affairs Director of the Missouri Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence. First off, I'd like to thank all of you for coming here. Um, Today we're going to be talking about something that is a little bit hard to talk about, but that's exactly why we are going to talk about it, and that is sexual assault. But we will actually be taking a different look at sexual assault. We're going to be talking about the resilience of survivors, which is something the media unfortunately tends to overlook. So we'll just start with everybody introducing yourself. Kelly, we'll start with you. Hi, um, thank you so much for having me today on this podcast. And my name is Kelly, and I'm excited to be here because I think that it is a really important conversation to have. And even though it can be an uncomfortable conversation, I think that it's definitely something that the media needs to talk more about. I'm Casey. Thanks for having me here today, Cassidy. And I'm Matthew. Uh, I'm the Public Affairs Director at the Missouri Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Violence, uh, and I'm really glad to be able to be a part of the story. All right, and so we're just going to start with uh, Kelly and Casey. Can you tell us a little bit about your story? What brings you in today? Casey, we'll start with you. Yeah, so I'm a survivor of sexual assault my sophomore year. I was sexually assaulted by someone who I would actually consider before a close friend of mine. It's something I think the media doesn't really focus on. We all think of a girl walking down a dark alley and getting grabbed right behind her, where mine was someone who I intimately knew as a friend. Well, thank you for telling that to us. Kelly? Hi, I'm also a victim of sexual assault, and for me, it happened when I was 15, a sophomore in high school, and it was actually my boyfriend. So it was very um, hard to deal with because, like um, you said, you think that it's like walking down a dark alley. You think that it's going to be a stranger, somebody that you don't know. You never think that it's going to be somebody that you actually trust more than anybody in the world. So it's very hard to deal with. Well, thank you both for being willing to share your story. And the reason why we actually have you on here is because you two have shown exceptional examples of resilience by simply even being here today. Um, Something that both of them talked about, Matthew, was it was somebody that they knew really well. Um, Can you talk to that at all? Absolutely. Uh, And I really appreciate both of you sharing your story and your experience and uh, that so much of the story is focused on the resilience of survivors. Um, So just like Cassidy and Kelly said, it was someone who they knew. Um, Based on statistics that we have uh, through CDC uh, and the Department of Justice, we know that roughly eight out of 10 sexual assaults um, are either by an intimate partner, a dating partner, or at the very least an acquaintance, someone someone knows. Um, and, uh, And unfortunately, we often see that as the case because it is a level of trust 
and uh, control that the person who committed harm exerts over another person. Um, and so just as they said, this kind of common narrative of um, the stranger in the alley or in the parking garage um, is kind of a scare tactic almost, but that's not really the case of the vast majority of survivors who've experienced a form of sexual violence. So today with people who have experienced any sort of um, sexual assault or sexual violence, we're talking about resilience. How did you bounce forward from what happened, Kelly? It definitely was hard. It definitely didn't happen overnight. Um, it took a lot of years to rebuild the trust that I had lost in somebody that you know, I had really trusted and cared for, and not in the sense that I had to rebuild my trust for that person, but I had to rebuild my trust in other relationships that I felt like I had lost. So um, resiliency is something that I'm still working on, you know, and it's something that um, was hard to do, but I feel like just pushing forward and choosing forgiveness every single day is something that has really helped me in the long run. That's great. Kelly or Casey, do you have any sort of similarity with Kelly? I think very so much in the sense that every day, you know, it's not something like, oh, like cancer, you're in remission and you're done with it. It's something that every day you have to fight for and you have to choose because it's so easy to slip back into it. For me, I definitely fell into the depression after I was assaulted and I kind of lost the sense of who I was and I tried to be that person I was before I was assaulted and I couldn't be that person because that person didn't go through that trauma. I had to completely start over and find out who I was again after this. And Matthew, so based on media, unfortunately a lot of the times media focuses on the perpetrator or on the crime itself rather than focusing on these two stories we have right in front of us of these people who have survived and they're even bouncing forward from that. Why is it so important that we actually cover stories like Kelly and Casey's? For many reasons. Uh, one is because it helps to actually bring an accurate story to light, and it can be incredibly empowering for survivors to be able to share their story and uh, be able to really talk about um, the resilience that they have. And, you know, trauma and resilience aren't linear, and so being able to really talk about the process of trauma recovery and highlighting resilience can help other people who have experienced sexual violence um, to know that their experience is not isolated, that we, we as people who have experienced trauma and violence um, can share in that experience with one another and help provide support for one another. Uh, I also think it's really important that we tell these stories because when media focuses solely on the person who has perpetrated violence, um, it only frames the narrative from a criminal justice perspective. And so we really narrow the way that we frame the story if we only focus on criminal justice instead of sexual violence is a public health problem. Sexual violence is a social justice issue. And so being able to really lift up and highlight the stories of survivors helps to shape it in a different way. So we did talk a little bit about these misconceptions, Casey and Kelly, that people think, oh, it was it's a stranger, just somebody who jumped out at you. But what other sort of misconception do people have about survivors that you have yourself have experienced, Casey? 
For me, the hardest part was because it was someone I knew when I did finally feel comfortable enough to tell someone. The first person I told, you know, I thought they were my best friend at the time, I wasn't believed because it was someone who was close to me and it was someone who was in our mutual friend group. So for me, I had a lot of that victim blaming of, oh, you wanted it, you instigated it, why didn't you say stop? Kelly, same thing? Yes, I definitely agree with Casey. Um, I also had people that didn't believe me. And another thing that made it really difficult was that there was alcohol involved. And so people can say like, oh, well, maybe you don't remember if you said yes. You know, maybe you don't remember exactly what happened. But the way that I see it now, and it's taken me years to come to this conclusion, is that if there was alcohol involved at all, then there was no room for consent. You know, if somebody is under the influence of alcohol, then they are not able to consent physically or mentally to intercourse or any type of sexual activity. So that is something that is also really huge in our media, that um, alcohol just becomes like a veil that is um, not real, but it is real. So. So what have you two been doing to help you guys kind of get past any sort of, well, negative response um, at all? What has been helping you? For me, definitely what's been my biggest, I guess, aid in getting over this is working out. For me, the physical strength, it really helps me build up the mental strength of like physically, like, okay, I am getting stronger, but it's like, okay, I am physically stronger than what I used to be, so now I can be mentally stronger. Same for me. I also love working out, and I've actually found that working out has been super helpful in that regard. And also counseling has been really helpful, you know, just talking about it with an unbiased perspective and just talking the feelings out, getting everything out on the table because silence has been um, not a good thing when it comes to this. Like just silencing yourself, not talking about it, not being open about it, that can be really killer. So talking about it with a counselor has been super helpful for me. This is Intersection. I'm Janet Saidi. Today, producer Cassidy Arena is talking with guests Casey Smith, Kelly Slatter, and Matthew Huffman about the media's coverage of sexual assault survivors. The conversation explores how survivors have shown resilience after traumatic experiences. You can find more on this conversation and resources for sexual assault survivors at kbia.org. And this next question actually might be helpful for Matthew as well within his line of work, but is there any resource or are there any resources that you wish you would have more available to you? You know, I wish I would have gone to counseling because that's something I've honestly never tried. Um, you know, most people didn't find out about my assault until like a year after it happened. And like you saying it's the silent killer, totally in me. Like, you know, I definitely buried it deep down and I feel that that's why it take, took me even longer to heal. So I feel that if I would have had counseling, it would have been something that I would have been able to come back faster for. Right. And it's hard sometimes to get counseling because it's something that you don't want to talk about. It's something that you do want to just like bury inside and not and just kind of pretend like it never happened. But I think that it's definitely necessary in the process of healing to get it all out on the table. And I think that a resource that would have been really helpful for me would just to be around other peers and people that have also gone through the same thing because that experience can be very isolating and you can feel like you're the only person that went through it, even though the statistics show otherwise when you're in that 
uh, mindset, you're just like, wow, this only happened to me. I'm the only person who's dealt with it. So having a support group of people who had also been through my same experiences would have been really helpful for me, I think. And Matthew, do any of those um, resources, are any of those through the Missouri Coalition? So we don't provide direct services at the Missouri Coalition, but we are a membership organization of uh, domestic and sexual violence programs that do provide those services in communities throughout Missouri. So here in Columbia, for example, on campus, we have the RSVP Center, uh, the MU Counseling Center, and then for the larger Columbia community, we have True North, um, where definitely counseling and support groups are available. Uh, and we know that those are vital, life-changing, life-saving services in communities. And we are fortunate to have so many here in Columbia. Um, the one thing I would add to that, though, uh, is something that Casey and Kelly both mentioned of not feeling comfortable talking about it at first. And so a major resource is for friends and family and uh, people in in your support group um, to feel comfortable talking about it, to know about resources, to start by believing and just saying, I believe you and I'm really sorry that this happened. How can I help? And what can we do? What are other things that we can do to encourage survivors to come out and talk about it? I mean, I think just like Matthew said, you just want someone to believe you. Like, you've gone through this incredible trauma that no one can see but you. And when you do finally have the courage to say something to someone, I'm not expecting you to know what to do or know what to say. I just want you to believe me, you know? I can agree with that. You know, um, like many illnesses, physical illnesses, you can see it on somebody, you can see that they're going through somebody, but I think of sexual assault as an invisible illness, something that is hidden from everybody else and something that nobody really understands and so just having that simple um you know i believe you i understand i don't understand what you went through but i believe that you went through something very traumatic and i'm here for you in any way that you need me to be that just speaks volumes and is so helpful and sometimes that is all somebody needs to hear and that is a big thing to just hear somebody say that um matthew why do you think it is so difficult for people to respond to say i believe you to be that listening ear you know, I think that there are a couple reasons for that. Um, one, sexual assault, any form of sexual violence, uh, is intensely personal, just as uh, Casey and Kelly mentioned. And so it can be difficult to to feel comfortable coming forward to talking to anyone uh, about the trauma that you experienced. Um, and then I think another big part of that is, as a society, we are not fully comfortable even talking about sex, let alone sexual violence. Um, and so whenever you have uh, something that is so traumatic that is experienced, um, that you have experienced or you know someone who has experienced, I think there is still a bit of a stigma in knowing how to respond or knowing how to talk about it um, and almost that it's, it's taboo. Um, and so, you know, something that we we really talk about a lot at the coalition when we're working with advocates is you have to be comfortable talking about sex and sexuality because sexual violence is um is something that many people have experienced and if we can feel comfortable 
talking about sex and healthy sexuality and helping survivors reclaim their sexuality, then we can get past this taboo barrier of um, even not thinking about it as a topic that can be discussed. This is Intersection. I'm Janet Saidi. Today, we're listening in on a conversation hosted by KBIA producer Cassidy Arena. Cassidy is talking with guests Casey Smith, Kelly Slatter, and Matthew Huffman about the media's coverage of sexual assault survivors. The conversation explores how survivors have shown resilience after traumatic experiences. You can find more on this conversation at kbia.org. So now we're going to switch the conversation a bit towards policy and the justice system. Um, So we have talked about the psychology of survivors and what goes behind the actual face of the story. Um, But what needs to improve now in our justice system? We've talked about just talking about it is one big thing that we can do. But what are any other things that the justice system and policymakers should know? I mean, I definitely feel you see in the media all the time that, you know, the perpetrator gets off so easily. And I feel that it's because the people in the justice system don't know the irreparable damage that that person has done. Like, I am not the person I was before my trauma because one person chose to violate me. And I feel that whoever is prosecuting the justice system needs to realize the damage they've done. Like we've said many times, it's not physical, it's mental. And it's something I'm going to carry with me every day. Right. And I think that maybe people don't always take it so seriously, you know, judges and all the things that go on with that. Like I think about um, the Brock Turner case a lot and he is like a just a, a wonderful example of how the in, the injustice that happens in our society when it comes to those things. You know, I think he only got off with three months and like Casey said, her life was completely changed and so was the victim of Brock Turner. And three months in jail, I highly doubt that that really reformed him in any way. And I think that um, we just need the public reform when it comes to dealing with the people that have caused so much pain to so many people. And Matthew, that kind of heads straight into your line of work. Um, What is the coalition doing right now in legislature? So we work alongside our public policy committee who uh, has representation uh, from all of our member programs and some of our board members to really help shape and define what our legislative priorities will be going into session every year. Along with that, um, we also talk with survivors and have many survivors who reach out to us and say, I want to share my story. I want to be involved in public policy efforts and and how can I help uh, really shift the narrative and change public policy by telling my story. And so we really encourage that as well. Um, Something that I I do want to mention just briefly to kind of lift up what uh, Casey and Kelly have been saying is that survivors have have so much consequence placed on them by coming forward and uh, whenever we start questioning uh, survivors whenever they are telling their story um they have nothing to gain honestly because so many times they aren't believed and um and just as kelly mentioned with the brock turner case um 
you know, there was no real accountability there. And survivors know what accountability and justice means for them, and that can often look very different. Um, but something that we really focus on at the coalition is not just shaping laws, uh, but how laws are implemented. And uh, survivors have to navigate a variety of systems, whether that is the criminal justice system, whether it is uh, getting the medical care, either physical or mental health care that they need. Um, housing is a big issue. And uh, really specifically thinking about college campuses, um, college campuses are a system of their own. And so being able to get the access to resources that you need in terms of um, getting your residence hall changed, getting your class schedule changed, being able to have the flexibility to stay in your courses, um, but also have the support that you need from, uh, from professors and from faculty and staff on campus as well. Um, so that's a big part of what we do is really try and make sure that public policy is implemented well so that there are systems in place to support survivors with what they need. Um, you know, the other thing that I'll mention is whenever we're thinking about public policies, we also need to have a strong focus on prevention and how we're changing environments and changing communities to really prevent sexual violence before it ever occurs. So, Kelly and Casey, do you feel supported here on campus within our own little policy world? I'm going to say no, because my sexual assault did happen on campus. And like, yes, I know if you need help, you're supposed to ask for help. But like, you know, when you're getting into your dorms and you're getting oriented, there was never that conversation of sexual assault. And I mean, mine was someone who he was in some of my classes. So I literally would see him every day. And it was something that it was a constant reminder of what happened. And I have to just pretend like it didn't happen. So I think that Mizzou definitely, I think, should take a step up and say, hey, if you are a victim, we are here to help. And do you, how do you think you would have felt more supported from campus? I think just like you said, changing my class schedule, you know, just something of that they're thinking about those students. Because I know that on college campuses, I think that sexual assault is a little more rampant than the general population. So it's like, okay, we do kind of have this little epidemic happening. But I think it's that thing of, oh, they don't want to talk about it because then that's a, it's that social stigma of then if they even are bringing up sexual assault, then people are going to be like, oh, well, if you go to Mizzou, you'll be sexually assaulted, you know? And Kelly, you're not a student here um, at MU, but did you feel support within your own community? Um, it's hard to say because it was a secret. So I would say, no, I did not feel supported in my own community. Had I come forward and, you know, been more honest about it up front, maybe things would have been different. But I think the point is that I felt like it wouldn't. I felt like I wouldn't be supported. And I think that alone says enough about um, the support that I had in my community was the fact that I didn't want to come forward and the fact that I didn't feel comfortable talking about it. So one of the big problems with public policy, um, we can say, is that a lot of policymakers don't understand what goes on in the mind of a survivor. A lot of times there's paralysis. A lot of times there's um, just a genuine not knowing what to do, so no fighting, which then could be confused as consent. And what role does a trauma-informed mind play with these policymakers? I mean, I just think it all goes back to that 
there needs to be a more open conversation about sex in our country, about sexuality. And then I feel once we get comfortable about that, people will start to feel comfortable talking about sexual assault. I mean, something that I don't think comfortable is ever the word because you're talking about someone's life completely changed by one person who violated them. So I don't think we'll ever be comfortable talking about it, but it won't be a taboo topic like it once was. I think it would also be helpful for people to learn more about the impacts that trauma has on the brain and how, you know, it really does change the way somebody responds to not just that situation that they went through, but all situations that they go through in life going forward. Um, For me personally, um, my attack changed my nervous system. It changed the way that I was able to respond to so many situations. And it took years to recover from that. The physical damage that it had on my body was so um, huge that it it had such a big impact on me. And I feel like we should talk more about the impacts that it has on the individual on a physical level, not even just emotionally. Casey, can you speak to that at all too? any sort of other impact you had um, after? I mean, it just reshapes your whole life. Like I said, I when I was trying to recover, I was trying to be that person I was before. But you can't. You have to completely just reinvent yourself. And I mean, one of the best analogies I've heard is uh, the show. 13 Reasons Why, one of the characters was sexually assaulted, and she said, you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you know exactly who you're looking at. After you're sexually assaulted, it's like someone has just shattered that mirror, and you have to pick up all the pieces and figure out who you are again, because you literally don't know who you are after it's happened. You think you're some strong, confident person who would never let anyone take advantage and violate you, and yet there you are in that situation. So all of a sudden you start thinking, I'm not confident, I'm not strong, I'm weak. And I think that's the mentality a lot of people have initially because they don't get that support. They don't get people saying it's not your fault. Thank you. And just for our last question to wrap things up, Kelly and Casey, after we've talked about basically talking with community, talking with your friends, family, colleague, what do you want to say to them right now that will help them understand what it takes for you to move forward? I mean, I think that Unless you've experienced it, you'll never understand, but I think that's most life experiences. I think it's just what we've said over and over again, just believe them, because you don't understand the strength it takes just to even say, I was assaulted, this is what happened to me. And you don't have to know what to say back to them. You don't have to know what they need. Just be there for them, because that's all they need right there in that moment. I agree. I think that in order to um, fight the stigma, we have to just be believing of what other people say that they are going through. We have to, you know, not put any blame on them. Um, No more, it was your fault. No more, um, I don't believe you. We just have to be there for each other and be supportive of each other. And we have to provide um, that unity or else people are going to feel extremely alone and isolated, which is going to lead to more issues. Well, thank you all so much for coming today on Intersection. It was a very important topic um, that might have been hard to talk about, but you know what? We did exactly what our goal was today to bring that conversation to the table.
Thanks for listening to this Intersection program. It was produced and hosted by KBIA's Cassidy Arena. If you would like more information or need to talk with someone about this topic, contact True North Columbia, MU's RSVP Center, or another campus or Columbia organization. You can also go to kbia.org for links to these organizations and phone numbers. Thank you for listening.